Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Brownstein policy directors Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer bring their broad knowledge of congressional issues from both sides of the aisle together for a discussion moderated by strategic advisor Mark Begich that includes the two-week continuing resolution and whether it will be a bipartisan package, how the success of tax reform could influence the continuing resolution and the Alexander Murray health care deal, as well as the overlay of recent sexual harassment charges plaguing Congress. Welcome again to the Brownstein Podcast. This is Mark Baggage. I'm here with Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer. Elizabeth Gore is the policy director, serves as the chair of the Brownstein Government Relations Department. Elizabeth previously served as chief of staff to Senator Byron Dorgan, as a special assistant to the Clinton White House, and in the House Committee on Budget. Having over 20 years of experience in Democratic politics and advocacy, Elizabeth provides clients with insight on the legislative and regulatory outlook for a variety of public policy topics, including energy and technology issues. Again, I'm joined with Elizabeth Mayer, policy director, is a well-trusted and political advisor at Brownstein. Elizabeth worked more than 10 years as legislative director to U.S. Senator John Kyle. She now focuses her efforts and expertise on advising Brownstein clients about numerous legislative and regulatory issues and uses her experience and expertise to advance clients' priorities. Elizabeth and Elizabeth, as usual, this is always fun when we get together here for the Brownstein podcast, and uh, we got several items, but you know we're at the end of the year, and this is when everything gets jammed up and every issue becomes a priority. But the priority coming up right now is the CR, the continuing resolution. It's scheduled to expire on December 8th. In theory, the House is trying to get busy negotiating. Should it be at the end of the year? Should it be close to Christmas? Where are we and what are the Democrats uh, wanting to get out of this? And uh, let me just turn to Elizabeth Gore and maybe you could tell us. I know DACA is on the agenda, but other stuff may be on the agenda. Yeah, it's a very interesting time. And we have a lot of things all sort of uh, coalescing concurrently, which makes it a little bit more complicated. The um, CR, as you mentioned, the current CR runs out on Friday, December 8th. And right now the plan is that they'll do a two-week extension that's very clean, that doesn't have any extraneous provisions added to it, and that would go through the 22nd of December. And then I think the big fight's going to be on that on that bill. It's unlikely that the appropriations bills will all be completed so that they can um, pass what we call an omnibus package through the end of the fiscal year. So the question is, if you do an extension past the 22nd of December, what is the price for that? What's added to it? And you mentioned DACA. I certainly think that that is on the um, agenda for Democrats. Uh, there may be other things, uh, funding for the Ch- Children's Health Insurance Program, CHIP. Which is actually expired. It right? has already expired. There's a lot of interest in trying to um, address that issue. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be other extraneous issues also that people may want to focus on. So um, I think there's going to be a, a lot of complications here as we try and figure out uh, how to get from here to, to Christmas. And do you think uh, when you, you know, you said chip, flood, in, flood insurance is also yes. another one. Yes. Um, the appropriation bills, which are kind of done, but not really done. Uh, so I saw yesterday, and maybe Elizabeth Mayer can answer to this, and that is I saw yesterday some commenta- conversation about some of the very conservative members of the House who tried to make a move 
uh, attempt to get their voice heard, trying to move this CR to the 30th, or just before Christmas is kind of the goal now. But what's their play here? Do they have a play as we get to the end of the year here? Is the House Republican conservative group there um, going to do something, or are they just going to go along, play along, and get past this? Um, well, the Freedom Caucus, as they call themselves, I think it's around 30 members right. now, and Mark Meadows is sort of their unofficial head. They used to do things in an, a more formalized manner. Things have been more informal lately. The potential t- uh, throwing of the vote to go to conference on the tax bill didn't necessarily have to do with how big the tax bill and expensive it is, but about spending generally. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I do know that Mark Meadows got a call from the president. He was talking to Ryan and then um, they all ended up calling lo- coalescing for the most part and voting to go to conference. So that's kind of put to bed. But do you think they'll play in the CR at all in some way? I mean, they tried on the tax bill, but really their issue is all about money, right? Spending. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is. And um, I do think that they'll be I do think they'll play a fairly large role in, in the negotiations. Um, I don't know if, if they will end up uh, voting for a either mini bus or a CR with um, some policy agenda items attached to it. Um, but they'll be effectively if they're not right in the room, they'll be talked to to um, right afterward for proposals to get through the end of the year. They did want to go through the 30th or the 31st. I don't know that that will actually happen. I think that they want to be out the week after Christmas. So that remains to be seen. But I think, you know, it's like a -a whack-a-mole. When you pull them in, they're going to increase the budget caps. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's just unless they end up doing just a flat-out CR. And if the Freedom Caucus gives in on the budget caps, then they're going to want to say in what the pay-fors or offsets are. And they don't really like paying for things with the Overseas Contingency Fund, um, the OCO fund, as it's called. So if they make a move to offset like $200 billion, first of all, the OCO fund isn't $200 billion anymore. They come up short. Mm -hmm. The Freedom Caucus doesn't like it. So who knows what other offsets they'll come up with. And clients should be aware that they need to be on top of it because they'll search for health care offsets. They'll search for any kind of offset. And so if the Freedom Caucus doesn't like the offsets, then I would think that there might be some effort to go back to the Democrats since they're getting the plus up in defense and domestic spending. Um, to try to get them on board to to sort of not get in the way of passing it. Um, And that could include uh, potentially um, looping in some sort of DACA fix also. Yeah, and I I have a very, uh, not a very different take, a little bit of a different take on that. I I think they're going to have to include the Democrats at the beginning. You're going to have to have Democratic votes to pass this bill in both the House and the Senate. And so if I were Paul Ryan, I I think I would say to the Freedom Caucus, you know, I'm... I can't. I can't accommodate you. Right. And I so mean, the president's made an outreach again to Schumer and Pelosi. Yeah, and right? they're going to meet on Thursday of this week. And I think that the reality is that this is going to be a bill that ends up more towards the middle 
than way off to the right. This is a bill that's going to attract Democratic support. And that means there's going to be there are going to be some Democratic provisions in it. And maybe DACA is one of them. Maybe um, there's going to be a limitation on what happens on the wall. We've talked about chip. We've talked about flood insurance. Uh, so I think that the um, the, the Freedom Caucus has a little bit less leverage on the spending bill than they may think. And so I think it's going to be a, a bipartisan package. Let me make one other uh, observation. If the Republicans are successful in getting a tax bill to the president's desk before Christmas, and it appears that they are on track mm-hmm. to do that, they do not want to overshadow that success with a with a complete failure by allowing the government to shut down. And so that really motivates them to get a quick solution and get out of town just before Christmas. And to me, that means it's less likely that they'll come back between Christmas and New Year's, and it's less likely that there's going to be a government shutdown. No, nobody on the Republican side wants to see their um, tax bill press swallowed up by the the debacle of a government shutdown. And so I think that that's another factor. I mean, nothing really good happens between Christmas and New Year's if you're back in Washington. I agree I mean, with I'm that. just telling you from my experience, that is a bad sign about to happen. There's one uh, piece out there, which is the Murray-Alexander reinsurance issue. Is Do you think that happens before the end of the year? Does that get caught up into all this? I know there were some, quote, deals made with the tax proposal to have a vote and maybe some conversation around that. What, what do you think happens here? Elizabeth Mayer? Uh, well... Uh, Senator Collins is um, continuing to, um, you know, to when she's interviewed, um, tell the press that she was given a commitment. Yeah, an ironclad to, to, is the an word iron, she is. A quote, ironclad commitment um, toward passage mm-hmm. of um, this um, a sort of subsidy or um, cost sharing effort. I think that, you know, not to keep going back to the, the Freedom Caucus members, because as Elizabeth Gore said, I think their influence waxes and wanes. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not always spot on. But they have said that they do not appreciate, you know, for example, that they sort of got spoken for Mm -hmm. and that they are expected to pass um, this effort if it gets sent back over to the House. So I think it remains to be seen what happens with that. At the end of the day, um, if they don't think they can pass it freestanding, it'll get attached to potentially something, even a CR by the end of the year. So let me ask you, kind of summarize for the end, you know, we have a lot going on. It's almost like come January, February, it's deja vu again. We're going to be back in this same cycle. But there is this other uh, activity going on, which seems to be somewhat bipartisan on both ends of this, and that's all the claims or no claims on sexual harassment and issues that are going on in Washington, new policies all the congressional people want to do uh, to kind of show that they're on top of this issue. On, to- on Along with that, there's this issue about the fund that pays these settlements. Now there's kind of bipartisan, why should that fund exist? Well, give me some thoughts there. I mean, I, I think it's creating, I mean, I think there's more to come. Just as you look at every day, it seems like every two or three days there's somebody else that's had some issue or some question. Uh, Where do you think this all goes? And is it good? Is it bad for the body? Is it good or bad for the country? All these issues around elected officials, uh, and not just elected officials, but here we are in Washington focused on elected officials in regards to these issues around sexual harassment, and then we do have an election coming in about a week. So, 
who wants to take that one on? Elizabeth Gore? What, sure. What, what, kind of, what, is it, what does it mean to Washington right yeah, now? I'll give a couple of thoughts about it. I think it's a positive that people feel they can speak more freely about this issue mm-hmm. and that they can speak up and speak out if they have been sexually harassed, sexually abused, sexually assaulted by members of Congress. There's been too much silence for too long, and that is a good thing mm-hmm. that there is more sunlight. The um, allegations themselves are, are stunning. They're breathtaking. My view is that if you have a member of Congress that has credible accusations against them, they do not deserve to sit in the United States Congress. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't matter what party you're with or how important your vote is or how senior you are or what committee you chair. You should be gone. And from my perspective, that means that John Conyers, who's a Democrat, should be gone. It means that Roy Moore is ineligible, from my perspective, <laughs> to sit in the United States Senate from a moral standpoint. And I think Al Franken should leave the Senate. So my view is that this is a bipartisan problem and that members of Congress should not sit in that body if they have had problems having to deal with sexual harassment, sexual abuse, or sexual assault. And so I feel very strongly about this, that the Democrats and the Republicans are missing an opportunity to take the higher ground and to assert some moral leadership, which we've seen in other industries and somehow we haven't seen it in politics. So the good news is people are coming forward. The bad news is that I don't think either party has really responded very well. Elizabeth Mayer? I pretty much agree with Elizabeth Gore on this. I mean, I I will say I I think a bill did pass um, the House that Barbara Comstock and Jackie Spear uh, wrote. Um, And I think by default, some of these members are, are, um, are, are being dealt with perhaps behind the scenes. We just heard that John Conyers, for example, is retiring. He's announcing on some radio station this morning. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, his grandson is going to run for his seat. So, you know, whether that's good or bad, I'm not going to make a judgment, but um, he is uh, not running again. I think that for me, I feel or I believe that... um, First and foremost and up front, I do not want one single dollar of my um, of the contributions I make every year to the federal government paying for a uh, sort of a slush fund to pay for. And I can't remember if it was like eighty seven million dollars or something like that for several million, Mm -hmm. I should say, Mm -hmm. for payouts um, with these nondisclosure agreements. Now, I know that those loop all kinds of agreements in, whether they're sexual harassment or age discrimination or some sort of, um, you know, injury or something like that. But, um, you know, first and foremost, I, I, I don't know how to solve it because if someone is harassed and they don't want it in the public, you could easily just say everything needs to be transparent. But I also would want definitively the person who's brought the charges protected. Um, so I I don't know exactly what the answer is, but some kind of sunshine seems to me to be, um, as Elizabeth Gore said, absolutely warranted. And then I think they really need to examine this fund as well. Um, and, and then just finally, I think you know attitudes are changing. I think across the country, attitudes are changing. But 
specifically within Congress, um, I think that they've needed to change, you know, for a while. And I think I think things are changing. I agree. I think, that, you know, what you said, Elizabeth Gore, about the standard, you know, the, the congressional standard should be not only zero tolerance, but exceptionally high standards. And, and they are, by their actions, it seems like what they're doing is playing more politics than good public policy. And that's what needs to be done if we ever want to give back the faith of the institutions and the ability for the institutions to operate in a way that the public uh, believes in them again. And this does not help this situation. And I agree with you, Elizabeth Mayor, that when I was in the Senate, I had no idea that fund existed. I don't even know who administers it. And that creates a lot of great debate uh, internally. And I think sooner or later, uh, my guess is that fund's going to disappear real quick. And people, if you're a congressional member and you create uh, harassment or sexual assault or whatever the case may be, you are going to be personally responsible for your actions. And and to me, that's a good thing. Let me close on this and just ask, what is, we're in the holiday season. This is the last question. Uh, <laughs> you know, we always, uh, we're in Washington, D.C. Everything's happening. What's the one thing you want for Christmas that the country will appreciate from Congress? Elizabeth Gore? It's kind of that old song, you know, kind of what do I want for Christmas? And then you fill in the blank. Uh, I think that the best thing for um, me for Christmas would be to see Roy more defeated in the special election <laughs> in Alabama. There we go. That's a Christmas gift that may come before, but that's okay. <laughs> right. but then he may win or lose, but December next Tuesday is that election. Elizabeth Mayer? Uh, I, I'm going to take the easy way out and, and lob on to what Elizabeth Gore said. I, I would just hope that um, in the future, in 2018, that the Republican Party fields uh, and sponsors candidates who are um, worthy of being in the, either the House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate. And my Christmas wish is simple, not complicated, but probably impossible. I would just like the two parties to get along and get some things done. That <laughs> are, be nice. But I know that's a Christmas gift that I may not get, but it may be a New Year's resolution I may ask for. I like that one. Maybe I'll take that one instead. <laughs> there you go. Thank you both for being here and uh, have a great holiday season. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.